Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today... So wait, is TikTok facing shutdown all over again as soon as tomorrow, or what? Some analysis on how well those M1 chips might actually perform. Ring doorbells are catching fire. The Hyperloop takes its first passengers for a ride. And does China also now think that big tech has gotten too big? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Yeah, remember that whole TikTok brouhaha? We've been wondering what became of that. Well, TikTok has been wondering that too, and it has asked a federal court to intervene regarding that order to sell TikTok's operations by November 12th. November 12th is tomorrow, if you hadn't noticed. Or as The Verge headlined it, TikTok says the Trump administration has forgotten about trying to ban it, would like to know what's up. Here's quoting from CNBC. TikTok hasn't had meaningful dialogue with the Trump administration's Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, or CFIUS, for weeks, according to people familiar with the matter. Executives at the company are still interested in completing a technology partnership with Oracle to satisfy national security concerns, even if President-elect Joe Biden isn't as concerned with TikTok's risk profile under Chinese ownership. A November 12 CFIUS deadline calls for ByteDance to, quote, divest any tangible or intangible assets or property wherever located used to enable or support ByteDance's operation of the TikTok application in the United States, end quote. But the order doesn't say what happens if ByteDance does not divest assets. That uncertainty prompted TikTok to file a petition in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit Tuesday, calling for a review of actions by CFIUS. Quote, for a year, TikTok has actively engaged with CFIUS in good faith to address its national security concerns, even as we disagree with its assessment, TikTok said in a statement. In the nearly two months since the president gave his preliminary approval to our proposal to satisfy those concerns, we have offered detailed solutions to finalize that agreement, but have received no substantive feedback on our extensive data privacy and security framework, end quote. So not to go all Groundhog Day on you, but I gotta ask... Is TikTok gonna go dark tomorrow? I know we thought it would before and nothing happened, but who knows? Some drips and drabs from yesterday's Apple event. First of all, in case you were wondering, Apple does still offer higher-end Intel-based 13-inch MacBook Pros and Mac Minis, but if you're in the market for a MacBook Air, your only available option is to now buy one with Apple Silicon inside. They discontinued the Intel chip versions. Also, specifically, the M1 13-inch MacBook Pro is now the entry-level MacBook Pro with those two Thunderbolt ports, starting at $1,299 and $1,499, respectively. But if you go up a couple categories, the configurations that start at $1,799 and $1,999 still have Intel chips inside, And those also have those four Thunderbolt ports. Also, and this is controversial even among the 
tech meme editors, did you notice that the MacBook Air tops out at 16 gigabytes of RAM? You can't get more RAM in there. I mean, Apple made a point of talking about 4K video editing in the event yesterday, so don't you feel like 16 gigabytes is maybe too little to do any kind of 4K editing? Like, the bare minimum to do 4K is 16 gigabytes, and even that might not be enough, at least in my opinion. But what about those M1 chips? Apple made a lot of big claims about performance and efficiency gains yesterday, and of course, we don't have them in hand yet to do benchmark testing, but Anantec has done some back-of-the-envelope analysis, and they say based on what they know of the A14 chip, yeah, these M1 things could be a formidable rival to any x86 chip out there. Quote, We currently do not have Apple Silicon devices and likely won't get our hands on them for another few weeks, but we do have the A14 and expect the new Mac chips to be strongly based on the microarchitecture we're seeing employed in the iPhone designs. Of course, we're still comparing a phone chip versus a high-end laptop and even a high-end desktop chip, but given the performance numbers, that's also exactly the point we're trying to make here, setting the stage as the bare minimum of what Apple could achieve with their new Apple Silicon Mac chips. Whilst in the past five years, Intel has managed to increase their best single-thread performance by about 28%, Apple has managed to improve their designs by 198%, or 2.98x, let's call it 3x, the performance of the Apple 9 of late 2015. Apple's performance trajectory and unquestioned execution over these years is what has made Apple Silicon a reality today. Anybody looking at the absurdness of that graph will realize that there simply was no other choice but for Apple to ditch Intel and x86 in favor of their own in-house microarchitecture. Staying par for the course would have meant stagnation and worse consumer products, end quote. Obviously, you should click through to the link to see the graphs and charts that they're talking about, but it does bring up an idea that I hadn't considered before. Maybe Apple wasn't pushed into abandoning Intel because Intel has dropped the ball. Maybe Apple Silicon has gotten so good that the only way they could make functionally better laptops going forward was to jump on the progress trajectory they were already seeing in their phone chips. If I'm reading this right, Anantec was analyzing a 5-watt iPad chip. The M1 has 35% more density and runs at 18 watts. In the grand scheme of things, this is neither here nor there, but I do like to keep these numbers in my head from time to time to stay on top of the state of the horse race in the smartphone market. According to Strategy Analytics, in Q3 of this year, Samsung sold more smartphones in the U.S. than Apple did for the first time in three years. Samsung had 33.7% market share in the U.S., and Apple had 30.2%. Quote, Solid sales of its mid-tier and budget smartphones, along with launch of flagship devices like the Galaxy Note 20 and Galaxy Z Fold 2, apparently boosted Samsung's presence in the U.S. Industry insiders said the late launch of Apple's iPhone 12 series may have also helped Samsung to thrive in the U.S. Apple usually releases a new iPhone in September, but this year the U.S. tech titan began to sell new smartphones from October. Samsung was also the leading vendor in the global smartphone market in the third quarter of the year with a 21.9% share, beating China brands Huawei with a 14.1% share, and Xiaomi with a 12.7% share. Apple had 11.9% market share in the global market in the third quarter, end quote. Again, neither here nor there in the long run, really, because one does get the sense that this year might be a monster upgrade cycle for the iPhone. But nonetheless, I thought those numbers were interesting. 
Ring has a new issue. According to a CPSC notice, Ring is recalling around 350,000 Ring doorbells sold between June and October of this year after receiving reports of them catching fire, which is, of course, not ideal. Quoting CNN, The potential fire hazard impacts around 350,000 second-generation Ring doorbells sold in the United States and roughly 8,700 more sold in Canada, according to a notice posted by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. The $100 doorbells were sold on Ring's website and on Amazon between June 2020 and October 2020, according to the CPSC. Quote, the video doorbell's battery can overheat when the incorrect screws are used for installation, posing fire and burn hazards, the notice said. According to the notice, Ring has thus far received 23 reports of doorbells catching fire and causing property damage, as well as eight reports of minor burns. Ring did not immediately respond to a request for additional comment. Customers can check whether their Ring doorbells are impacted by the recall at a link on the company's support website by entering the model and serial number printed on the back of the device, end quote. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for one password. I can't live without it. One password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, one password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. One Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at one password.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash ride. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Roku has added AirPlay 2 to select 4K-enabled models of its streaming devices, soundbars, and TVs, which is great news for me 
As you know, I told you I just upgraded to a TCL Roku Smart TV on Amazon Prime Day. But also, it's a workaround for those of you who maybe want to watch HBO Max on your Roku, but can't because HBO Max and Roku haven't made a deal, quoting Variety. With AirPlay 2, Roku customers can stream, control, and share content directly from their iPhone, iPad, or Mac to play back on a supported Roku device, meaning you can use the HBO Max app for Apple devices to cast content directly to Roku players. There are a couple of other workarounds to watch HBO Max on Roku's as well as Amazon's Fire TV, but for now, there's still no native app for the Roku platform. A key sticking point in the deal talks, Roku wants to continue to sell HBO as a channel, while Warner Media wants HBO Max to be a discrete app in the same way Roku distributes Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, and other services. Apple's HomeKit, meanwhile, lets customers control their Roku device with their voice using the Home app and Siri on iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, or HomePod. Roku previously announced plans to add AirPlay 2 and HomeKit to select 4K devices in late September as part of its 2020 holiday product lineup. In addition to AirPlay 2 and HomeKit support, Roku OS 9.4 features a live TV channel guide on Roku TVs, provides hints for Roku Voice, adds updated theme packs with sound effects, and improves overall performance, according to the company. End quote. The most frustrating thing with this new TV thus far has not been my inability to watch HBO Max on it, but is actually having to go in and turn off motion smoothing each and every time I install a new app. Install Hulu, I gotta go in and turn off motion smoothing. Install NBC Sports to watch soccer, same thing. Does anyone know if there's some sort of global setting I can hit to turn motion smoothing off on every app on this TV forever? Come to think of it, does anyone know the story of motion smoothing? Like, who thinks this is a good idea? Why do all the TV makers turn it on by default, and why do they even have it? Like, it's such garbage to look at. Anyone know the story behind why TV makers push this on us? Yesterday, I took care to note progress in self-driving cars yesterday, so I guess I would be remiss if I didn't note a bit of progress with the Hyperloop, i.e. that the Hyperloop made its first passenger test over the weekend. Two people rode a Hyperloop pod through a test tube at 100 miles per hour, quoting The Verge. The test took place on Sunday afternoon at the company's DevLoop test track in the desert outside Las Vegas, Nevada. The first two passengers were Virgin Hyperloop's chief technology officer and co-founder, Josh Giegel, and head of passenger experience, Sarah Luchain. After strapping into their seats in the company's gleaming white and red Hyperloop pod, dubbed Pegasus, they were transferred to an airlock as the air inside the enclosed vacuum tube was removed. The pod then accelerated to a brisk 100 miles per hour down the length of the track before slowing down to a stop. The DevLoop test track is 500 meters long and 3.3 meters in diameter. The track is located about 30 minutes from Las Vegas, out in the kind of desert that Hyperloop pods could one day traverse in minutes. The company says it has conducted over 400 tests on that track, but never before with human passengers until today. Quote, No one has done anything close to what we're talking about right now, Jay Walder, CEO of Virgin Hyperloop, told The Verge. This is a full-scale working Hyperloop that is not just going to run in a vacuum environment, but is going to have a person in it. No one has come close to doing it, end quote. 
The Pegasus pod used for the first passenger test, also called XP2, was designed with help from famed Danish architect Bjark Engels' design firm. It represents a scaled-down version of what Virgin Hyperloop hopes will eventually be a full-size pod capable of carrying up to 23 passengers. It weighs 2.5 tons and measures about 15 to 18 feet long, according to Geigel. Inside, its lush white interior is meant to be familiar to passengers who may not be immediately comfortable with the idea of slingshotting through a vacuum-sealed tube at the speed of a commercial jet. To be sure, the pod didn't reach the Hyperloop's theoretical maximum speed of 760 miles per hour. Virgin Hyperloop projects that with enough track, it can eventually get to 670 miles per hour, but the company's record to date is 240 miles per hour, which it hit in 2017, end quote. Finally today, this is an interesting story out of the South China Morning Post. China has apparently drafted new antitrust guidelines to rein in its tech giants. So maybe this whole story of China cracking down on Ant Group's IPO is indicative of something larger going on over there. Stocks of some major Chinese tech companies are down majorly on the news, by more than 10% in some cases. I'm talking JD.com, Alibaba. I so don't know the background on any of this, so I'd love to hear more from someone who understands the Chinese scene better. And also, wouldn't it be ironic if tech platforms were under siege from regulators in North America, Europe, and now China too? Maybe everybody thinks that tech has just gotten too big. What did I once say about how governments are very sensitive to and very jealous about threats to their power? They can feel when a rival grows in their midst. Quoting the SCMP, China has released a draft antitrust guideline to rein in internet-based monopolies, signaling policymakers heightened concerns over the growing power, influence, and risks of digital platforms and their market practices in the economy. The move immediately erased about $1.2 billion worth of market value from Alibaba, Tencent, and Michuan. Monopolistic practices by internet platforms such as demanding vendors to transact only on one platform exclusively or providing differentiated prices to customers based on their shopping history and profiles could potentially be outlawed according to the guideline released by the State Administration for Market Regulation on Tuesday. This is the first time the market regulator has attempted to define what constitutes anti-competition practices among internet companies under the law. An overhaul to the anti-monopoly law in January went only so far as tweaking the language to encompass internet companies to begin with. It will seek public opinion on the draft until the end of November. Quote, the policy is clearly targeting the tech giants, with e-commerce, online food delivery, and ride-hailing platforms likely to receive the biggest blow because of how concentrated these sectors are said Alan Lee, a portfolio manager at Atta Capital in Hong Kong. This is probably just the first shot, he said. The guideline also deems activities like platforms offering steep discounts to eliminate rivalry, colluding on sharing sensitive consumer data, and forming alliances to force out competitors as potentially monopolistic. The latest move has put China watchers on alert as Beijing appears to be starting to clip the wings of some of the biggest companies that helped revolutionize consumer spending behavior in the world's second largest economy. Just last week, it surprisingly halted Ant Group's record-breaking stock offering by throwing new micro-lending rules at the Jack Ma-controlled fintech company, end quote. Seriously, can anyone point me to a good long read or newsletter or explainer about this whole tech crackdown in China? I guess I need to know more about Communist Party politics and motivations and such. But also, 
If anyone has a good explainer about motion smoothing, point that my way as well. At BrianMCC on Twitter. Talk to you tomorrow. 